16th of January and episode 3,231 of the Survival Podcast. I have promised you an old school style jack off the top rope like Macho Man back in the 80s version of the Survival Podcast, and that is what you're going to get. Uh, for those that are waiting for me to completely snap my gasket like I used to when I had road rage instances when I was in the car for a year and a half when I started this show. That's right. For those that are new in the car, I did this show for the first 18 months in my car with a little bitty recorder. It probably won't get that bad. But you never know. There might be a moment or two in it. But it is the the facts that I'm going to bring you that will be like a two by four to some to the head, including a few comments for a doctor that decided to make a comment on the show that I did on Friday um, defending doctors in the medical industry and what have you. And then not him, me has called down the fire that is Ken Barry upon himself. That hasn't happened yet, but I'm, I'm waiting to see it happen. It'll be pretty interesting. I'll tell you about that, but we're going to talk about, and which is interesting. The doctor that I'll tell you about when we start this, wanted me to call out big sugar. Guess, guess who gets the major call out today? Big sugar. Big sugar. That's exact. And I was already going to do that before he asked. This this show has been in the planning uh, works since Friday when I finished. In fact, I would say when I chose the subject for my my segment on Friday, I had already decided to do this and was already putting together the resources and information for today's show. And a good seventy percent of today's show will come down on the sugar industry and tell you. All the evil shit that they've done, including buying influence, paying for studies, etc., lying to you continuously. Uh, we're going to cover the the brand new food pyramid. I don't know if it'll ever officially be called that, but a brand new study that is the most comprehensive study of nutrient density and the food value that they blah, 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 blah. That tells you things like, oh, I don't know. It is better for you to eat Lucky Charms than a steak. I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. Uh, we'll cover all of that and more, but we're going to cover that with a goal. Pattern recognition. The pattern is set, and once you see the pattern, you can't unsee it. And I will finish this show by going into a few other industries, like the food industry as a whole, not just big sugar, uh, the broadcasting industry, the pharmaceutical industry, the agriculture industry, and explain to you how it all basically works the same way. And why wouldn't it? Because the system is designed to work this way. So since these people game the system they designed, of course, they do it the same way everywhere. It's no different than television. You get a hit television series or a hit television concept. Next season, there's 20 versions of it on the air, i.e. reality TV, or as I call it, non-reality television. Real quick before we start today, let me uh, talk about our two sponsors of the day really, really quick. Um Number one, Paul Wheaton's Homestead Bundle is still available. It's over $285 worth of awesome content available for $65. Link in the video notes below if you're watching the video. If not, the audio version will have notes that include that. It's really an awesome thing. Just wanted to give it to you one more shot before I get out the door. I talked to Bo today, and we'll be going to something new Monday when I get back next week after that series of rewinds. So I want to let you know you've got about like a week left to operate on that or act, act on that. Next up, also wanted to throw out one more plug for the Greater Reset in Bastrop, Texas, because that's why you're getting rewinds for the next four days, because I am leaving and going down there to hang out with some of the most awesome people you could ever meet, and you could come and be with us. There's still time, especially if you can you know, drive in. 
to come to Bastrop, Texas, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. It's a long event. If you miss a day on either side of it, it ain't that big a deal. You're still going to meet all the cool people. You definitely want to be there Saturday evening, though, because that's when J.P. Sears and Zuby are performing. Awesome, folks. I can't wait to meet some of these people. Mark Moss, I've never been able to meet him in person. I'm looking forward to that. Uh, a lot of other great people in the permaculture space that will speak and talk. Uh, and there's some great guests that are going to be speaking remotely out of the other live venue, which is down in Mexico, like Tom Woods. So this is going to be awesome off the hook. One more time just on this, because this will be the last time I say anything about it before it actually happens. John Bush does nothing half-assed, man. John Bush does things the right way when it comes to running events. I've been extremely impressed by John. Again, the Greater Reset 4 in Bastrop, Texas, co-creation being the theme, broken up to an amazing series of days. Please come hang out with me. By the way, if you're going to be down there, let me know. Shoot me an email, jack at the survivalpodcast.com. TSPC Bastrop in the subject line. Maybe we'll try to put something together for TS folks, TSP folks to get together, have a beer at a bar or something like that. One of the nights uh, other than Saturday night. Anyway, with that, let's uh, let's dig into this. I want to start out with uh, real quick, just on the rewinds. A lot of you guys skip rewinds. Don't this week. These are four of the most impactful episodes about permaculture and food production. And if you don't even care about permaculture, you're going to want to hear these anyway, because it's really about, the precarious nature of the food supply in the world. And these episodes span multiple years. The first one will kick off. It's just me calling, talking about how peak food is actually the real long, slow emergency. That's will be tomorrow. Then I've got Ben Falk talking about zone four permaculture. And I really want you to listen to this one because I'm going to go deeper on this topic after I get back because I'm beginning to see how a vast majority of places that we might have believed, especially in the Americas, we're all wilderness, or more accurately describable as Zone 4 permaculture, including massive parts of the Amazon rainforest. Built by hand in a way, but still natural. Uh, Neil Spackman, this guy is restoring massive ecosystems. You know, when people are talking about like a big project being a few hundred or a few thousand acres, try hundreds of thousands. Try some of his projects that have been measured in square miles, not square acres. You definitely want to tune in for Neil Spackman's Rewind and, of course, Jeff Lawton. What would we have if we're going to do a week on permaculture without who I consider probably the 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 most experienced living permaculturist in the world today? And I've got a great episode from him as well. All right. With that, let's start off with a quick reminder of how we ended up getting here today. And that was that last week I covered a what I called an unholy alliance. And this is what upset our physician friend. There's a company called DeVita, and their their whole monetary nut that they make is based on people getting really sick to the point where their kidneys fail and need to have outpatient dialysis while they hope and pray that maybe they'll get a kidney transplant. That's how they make – without that, there is no DeVita. They don't make any money. They have a whole uh, segment of their website dedicated to the kidney health for diabetics who are their primary customers, type 2 diabetics – are the primary customers of DaVita. That's who they make their money on. And if they didn't become type 2 diabetics and stay diabetics long enough to require dialysis, DaVita wouldn't make any money. So they really care about your kidney health a lot. So they put all these recipes together. I won't go through them again today. I do have links to all of it, though, to back it up in the show notes. And they recommend things like, you know, cookies and sugar-coated cucumbers. And I'm not making this up if you didn't hear Friday's show for diabetics to consume 
taking food that actually is okay for diabetics and adding sugar in almost every recipe has added sugar. And I kind of blew my top a little bit last week because I think this was criminal. I think this is an example, and, and they're partnered with the American Diabetes Association. And while they maintain all these, these recipes on their website for added credibility, when all these recipes show up shared in social media, Facebook, Twitter, et cetera, they're always actually put out by the American Diabetes Association. And I just have, and I've seen so many of these, and Ken Berry's been doing great work pointing this out, that the ADA is putting out these recipes that are supposed to be good for diabetics that are actually killing diabetics. But I, I and I haven't heard back from him on this yet. I know he's in, he's going to be down there in Bastrop too. So maybe he hasn't had a chance to take a look at all this stuff yet. But I clued him in on this and I'm like, you know, all these recipes, like this company that does dialysis is the one putting these recipes out through the ADA. And so I really hammered that last week. And our doctor friend showed up, and this is what he said. And he's not completely wrong. He's just wrong. Uh, Jason is his name. So says, regarding physicians obtaining any gains for beyond current procedure codes, CPT, these activities will be outed via the Sunshine Act and or the Stark Law. How many industries are under this type of scrutiny? I hope so. But I have my doubts. And by the end of this episode, if you don't have your doubts, you will, too. Any progress in that direction, fine, but you know what regulatory capture is, dude? So that's not has nothing to do with what I covered Fridays, but we'll go ahead and give you that, okay? Uh, why don't you investigate big sugar? Well, 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 I already was. That's what we're coming to today. Uh, instead of blaming physicians who have almost no time to talk about specific dietary advice. Let me pause there. He's got like two more sentences to cover. Okay, the reason doctors do not have the time to talk about dietary advice is because they've chosen not to. You're a doctor, you run your own office, you bring patients in, you set your procedures, you set how much time you spend with each patient, and you've decided, and I understand why, because Ken covered this excellently, Dr. Kenberry covered this excellently two years ago at the Survival Podcast Workshop at my place, explaining how coding and billing work and how it is in a doctor's financial advantage to prescribe at least three medications to every patient and routinely make changes to them. So I understand why you do it. I understand the entire system is designed that if you want to make the payments on your car and send your kid to private school or whatever it is you want in your life, working the system the way it was designed is the best way to get there. That's my point. That's my point. He continues, that is why dietitians exist. Hold the phone, ass clown. Doctor or not, if your medical recommendation to your patients who are struggling with diet is to go see a dietitian knowing how the dietitian world works. And if you don't know, you have a responsibility to know before you make that recommendation because that's your effing job. And I think you're going to hear that from Ken Berry. Again, you called that fire down. I'll give you that next. Not me, okay? Um, anything you recommend as a doctor, you're the one that's required to investigate whether or not the recommendation harms or doesn't harm your patient. And the, the, the dietitians of North America, the Western world, et cetera, are going to recommend a high-carbohydrate diet even for type 2 diabetics and fucking kill them. So bullshit on that. I'm sorry. You're abdicating your responsibility because it's easier for you to walk backwards into a thing, check a few things off, make a medical re recommendation in the form of a drug, and go do the next patient. That's your decision to run your practice that way. And, yes, if you ran it the right way, you'd make less money. Tough shit. Don't shirk the responsibility. I'm sorry. And then he says, I bet Doc Ken or Doc Bones will corroborate these statements. Oh, okay. Again, 
don't you love it when somebody calls thunder down on themselves? This is a dude that wasn't even taking fire from the enemy. Second lieutenant calling an airstrike in on top of his troops. Fortunately, he's the only one there. God bless you when that happens. Also, why is personal responsibility diminished with this topic? I have never diminished personal responsibility. I am the king of calling people out on personal responsibility. However, when we give people authority and credentials and we say, go see your doctor, when we teach them this shit in school, like you're about to hear, when all of this that we're going to talk about today has been freaking done to people for multiple generations, I was taught to base my diet on bread and cereal when I was in school in the early 1980s. So, yes, there's a personal responsibility. There's also a conditioning and a domestication of the human species and a false sense of faith and trust in the system that you have chosen to be part of, that you have dedicated your life to. And I'll tell you, I don't know what Ken's going to say in response to you, but I do know this. The first time I interviewed Ken Berry, he had just come out with his book, Lies Doctors Tell Me. Lies Your Doctors Told You or something. Lies My Doctor Told Me, right? So this guy wants the the doctor who wrote the book, Lies My Doctor Told Me to Defend Doctors. I don't think it's going to work that well. But I said to him during that interview, and this is a sincere question. It was not a set of questions anyway. I said, is lies really the right word, Ken? Because these doctors went to school just like I did, and they learned just like I did, and they were programmed, and they were told, and all of this stuff came out for them, and were taught to do that. And then they have these requirements. And he said, they're the doctor. They're the one taking the patient's money, whether it's insurance money matters not. They're the one that's being trusted. They're the one that's obligated to make sure what they're saying is the truth. And if they don't do that, then it's a lie, even if they believe it. I love Ken Berry, man. And like I said, dude, whatever happens – you called that fire down on yourself, not me. It's uh, it's going to be interesting. But here's my thing about doctors in general. And again, I know there's plenty of doctors that are exceptions to this rule, but the rule is the majority. Nothing could say as much about how much doctors have abdicated your responsibility, doctors, for the last three years than the absolute freaking cowardice and towing of the line you did for the last three years. And I don't need to explain that. We have people dropping over. We have had valid treatments just freaking ignored. We have had so much evidence that the doctors will do as they are told. And if you do as you're told, when people depend on you for recommendation to their health and their lives, you are a coward. I don't care what the consequences are. And I know people that, well, you don't, you don't understand. Well, you, you can do whatever you want, blah, blah, blah. No, look. I have had to say the truth in spite of the consequences for the last 15 years doing this as a podcast. If you're a doctor and you piss off, you're independent and you run your own practice and you piss people off and they stop coming to you and you can't make money anymore, you can go to care now and get a job making 130 grand a year like that. You can go take pick up shifts at an ER and make money like that. You have so many ways that you can fall back if you if you upset your customers. Now, you're worried about losing a credential. I get that. But you have a lot of fallback. There is no place that I can go and say, hey, I'm a podcaster. I want to work part time here. There's no care now for podcasters, right? There's there's nobody that will hire me as a podcaster. Like every time I say something that pisses people off, I risk my livelihood. And I probably if I had just towed the line and did the thing that people that tune in for the first time want to hear, like so many people in my space, I would probably be netting a million dollars a year right now. Easy staying independent without even cooperating with anybody. 
I do well. I don't do that well. I know I've made that sacrifice. And so don't tell me about sacrifice and having to be brave and speak the truth because it costs you to speak the truth. People don't want the truth. Remember the fans like, you can't handle the truth. No, it's not people can't handle it. They don't want it. Hunter is asking me right now, did you lose a significant amount of people due to COVID? Yes. Yes, I did. And I spoke the truth. And it could have been the biggest growth period for the show ever if I had told people to be afraid and what they wanted to hear. People didn't get mad at me for telling the truth as we all know it to be now. People got mad at me for not turning it into a fear storm. People got mad at me for saying, you're going to be okay. This is nothing to hide from. That's what people got mad at me for. Anyway, moving on. Um, one more thing before we really dig into big food, but this or big, big sugar. This has a lot to do with big sugar, though. This was something when I sent it to Ken, I said, if you haven't seen this yet, be careful before you open it. Because I was afraid Ken was going to have a freaking aneurysm from blood pressure. Uh, this is in CNN Health. It's about as mainstream media as it gets. Updated obesity treatment guidelines for children and teens include medications and surgery for some young people. And if you read the article, they're recommending drugs for children that are obese as young as 12. Okay. And they are recommending surgery for some children as young as 13, like gastric bypass surgery for children that are 13 years of age. If you are a doctor that would give a 13-year-old gastric bypass surgery, you're the coward I'm talking about. You're just, you're just building. You don't care. You're the same one that's mutilating genitalia. You're just as bad. And, and what... What the establishment always says about this is obesity is a complex matter and has a lot to do with whether or not people have access to healthy food. No, it doesn't. If you have access to food, you have access to healthy food. Right? Don't this, this guy the, the, over the weekend? I said I'm not. I'm, I'm advocating personal responsibility. No, I'm not. But why are these choices being made? They're being made because they're the cheapest, easiest, and most convenient choices, and they're continuously backed up as okay by the very people that should be teaching health the right way, and they're not. And this just it just continues to decline because this that I'm about to bring up for those that are on the video is the thing that launched the entire show. I found this article midweek last week. I had to look it up. I actually saw like screenshots of things and stuff like that on Twitter and Instagram and stuff like all of you guys do. And I had to actually like put in my mind, Jack, you need to research this because I don't think it's true. I don't think that they're that brazen that they would do that, but they are. And what this is, is a new study for a new food pyramid, new recommendations for the guidelines for you to eat. This is going to be taught to your children. I guarantee you this is being written into textbooks for middle schoolers, maybe elementary schoolers, and definitely high schoolers for health class, et cetera, right now, these recommendations. And this took three years of research to complete, to come to these conclusions. Three years. It was funded entirely with your money. Yes, taxpayer money paid for this absolute atrocious garbage. This is uh, on goodranchers.com. And so they say, well, that's not a valid source. It links to everything. Okay. So there's the link right there for those looking. The Tuft Food Compass is what it's called now, where you can dig into all the data. Well, let's talk about 
what else it's, it's supposed to be. It is touted as, and this is a quote from the people who produced it, the most comprehensive and science-based nutri- nutrition profiling system to date. The most comprehensive and science-based nutrient profiling system to date. And before I dig into this and give you some of the extreme examples that uh, are, are pulled out of it to make the point here, let me say it's not all lies. It's not all lies. All these foods are scored on a score of 1 to 100. And 100 is the best and a 1 is the worst. And in one of the categories of foods, an example of a food that's telling the truth that gets a 1 is a jelly sandwich on white bread. That got a 1. Yeah. I'm all I, all in on agreement. And this is we're going to come back to this at the end, but this is where you know we talked about last week. The difference between trust and belief. If I trust a source, then I will trust them when they give me information that I'm not sure about. I'm not trusting them when they say that a jelly sandwich on white bread is bad for you to eat. I know that. So there's no trust required, right? So if I trust a source, how much verification I'll do when I have information that conflicts with my beliefs or just doesn't seem right or I never heard before, right? How much research I'll do before I accept it has it directly shows me how much trust I have. I have no trust from these people at all, period, the end infinity. Here's some of the things in this. And again, not everything's a lie. If you start picking apart, you're like, well, I agree with that. Of course you do. Because why? How do you sell a lie with the truth? If you made it obvious that you were lying, people would believe you. But you know what happens when these things come out? They sell this to the population and people are like, oh, it's okay to eat Lucky Charms and Frosted Mini Wheats and kind of stuff like that and eat Z-Bugs and, and, and steak should be really, really avoided. It's awful. So here's some of the things that they say in the study. Items to be encouraged. These are the things that you should base your diet on. These are the best things you can eat for your health, according to a study that is, according to itself, its authors, the most comprehensive nutrient and science-based profiling system to date ever. Three years, millions of dollars of your money to tell you that the things you should be encouraged to eat include frosted mini-wheats, chocolate-covered almonds, and honey nut Cheerios. Now, the Honey Nut Cheerios did slightly worse than plain old Cheerios. They got like a 98, 97, somewhere in that range. Like, Cheerios are the best thing in the world for you, Cheerios. Honey Nut Cheerios still really, really, really good, but not quite as good. Items to be moderated. I mean, you can eat these things. Just don't eat too many of them. Lucky Charms, seed oils used to fry fake eggs, artificial egg, Fried in seed oil, it's good for you. Just don't eat too much of it, okay? I'm not kidding, right? Cheddar cheese and steak, right? Uh, I'm sorry, I, I skipped one. So almond M&Ms, yeah, I messed that up. Come on, let me let me fix that for you. Moderated items include Lucky Charms, seed oil, fried fake eggs, almond M&Ms, and pineapple in heavy syrup. So the moderation list includes taking pineapple, putting it in a can, and putting a heavy sugar syrup on it. That's okay. Just don't eat too much of it. You know, a couple times a week, and you're you're good, right? 
then the items to be minimized, only eat this if you have to. Very rarely, the way we used to teach people about like, you know, a chocolate souffle, only in moderation, right? Really, really minimize that. Uh, this would include ground beef, real eggs fried in butter, cheddar cheese, and steak. That's all poison. You should only eat that when you absolutely have to. Now, do you realize how upside down on its head this is? Do you realize how many people in this audience have pretty much built a diet on beef, bacon, butter, and eggs, i.e. Ken Berry, right? Do you, do you, do you understand that the things that they put at the bottom of the list and in there, they buried some things at the bottom of the list that are like the majority of the bottom of the list is actually bad shit. And most of the top of the list is bad shit, but it's less bad shit than the stuff at the bottom. They made the gradient look right, right? And almond M&Ms are fire, though, right? So interesting thing you brought that up. Almond M&Ms also made the list of stuff that's okay to eat. Just, in, just you know, just moderate it a little bit. You don't have to minimize it. So almond M&Ms, chocolate-covered almonds, that's the shiz. Honey, honey Cheerios, awesome. Lucky Charms, little worse. It's okay. All in. You know, I gave you that score, 1 to 100. Lucky Charms got a 60, 60 out of 100. Steak, which they don't define other than beef steak, chunk of cow, scored a 33. Lucky Charms are roughly twice as good for you in this system. Let me say it again. Let me say it exactly the way that they said it. The most comprehensive and science-based nutrient profiling system to date, funded with millions of dollars of taxpayer money, say that Lucky Charms are roughly twice as good for the average person than eating a steak. Now, here's what I also found interesting. Ground beef got a 26. Steak got a 33. Canned beef got a 43. So canned beef is significantly better than steak. So if we take the beef, chop it up, and can it, it gets better. Now, I'm thinking it gets better because of the shit that they put in it. What I could say is that this study was clearly biased from the onset. It assumed immediately that if something had animal fat in it, it was bad for you. They didn't actually analyze, is animal fat bad for you? They created parameters, and this is how they do all these studies. I give you money, and I tell you what I want the study to say. You set parameters that will bias the study in that direction. Then you carefully and accurately document your parameters by which you're doing things. Then you do the study. Then it gets my peer review. I've talked about this before. All a peer review means is that the study followed its own procedures and the results that it produced are reliable based on the procedures that it stated for itself. It doesn't say it's right. It says they did, they said what they were going to do and they did it to say they were going to do it and the, the, the results track with that methodology. And then all of a sudden, you have something that this is going to go into the health and biology books of your children in the school system. And this is why, yes, personal responsibility matters, but we have generation upon generation being taught to think this way with this influence being purchased. I, I want to just sum it up again. Lucky Charms and an egg fried in seed oils. So an egg fried in canola oil are okay. An egg fried in butter is not, and steak is worse than Lucky Charms by a factor of two. 
Now, again, if you go through the whole study, because I'm sure people will, and they'll point out about the jelly bread sandwich and whatever, and it's, you know, it's all good, it's all good, it's all good. When you know that, they're not even trying to hide it anymore because they feel that the population is so stupid that they don't have to. Now they can just say, because how great is it? If you're a parent, especially a single parent, trying to get by, and you're told, you know what? Don't worry. It is better for you to feed your children Lucky Charms and pineapple and heavy syrup than steak and eggs. Don't people tend to believe what they want to believe? And if you haven't done the research to figure out how to eat really well inexpensively, then you will definitely take this in. And if it's reinforced by your doctor, if you've been taught this in school, if you've been trained to trust people in white coats and in suits and ties, if you've been trained to trust people who are dietitians, if you've been trolled, told, you know, trained to trust teach, to trust people who are teachers, if you've been trained to believe and you actually believe in your Bonhoeffer's, you know, theory of stupidity brain that teachers really are heroes that don't wear capes. And you're sitting in eighth grade and they roll out a biology book or a health book and they tell you that this is the way you should eat. Even if you don't follow it, you still believe it. And then when the belief matches what you actually want to do, oh, we're just off to the races. The bigger thing to understand, though, our doctor friend is not wrong about the sugar industry. The sugar industry has bought influence and convinced science that sugar is either good or not so bad. Here's how bad this is. So the nutritionists that I found speaking up about this, saying this is terrible, this is evil, you're killing people and you should not be doing this, right? These are the good guys, the ones that are sounding the alarm, that are saying big sugar bought influence. We shouldn't be eating so much sugar. It's terrible. It's going to kill you. Stop doing it. Do you know what they recommend? This is the official recommendation of nutritionists in the United States. If you are a woman, you should limit sugar to six teaspoons a day. And if you are a man, you should limit uh, sugar to nine teaspoons a day. First of all, this is an arbitrary recommendation. There's a big difference between a five foot one inch woman and a five foot seven inch woman that is proportional weight to height uh, average. Right. And there's a big difference between a five foot five inch man and a six foot man. Like just making this delineation based on sex alone. As much as I, I'm glad to see at least somebody in the scientific community is still recognizing the physical differences between men and women. Okay, great. At least you got that far, you morons. But this is arbitrary recommendation. But what does that really mean? First of all, when they say this, they don't count the sugar in your bread. They don't count the sugar in, unless it's added sugar. So they don't count the sugar from wheat, barley, starches, grains, carbohydrates. This is not complex carbohydrates or unrefined carbohydrates or natural carbohydrates, right? This is added sugar. This is refined sugar that they're talking about. What that means is they're saying, women, you can have like 24 carbs of pure sugar on top of the rest of this shitty diet we recommend every day, and it's no problem. And again, these are the ones saying there's a problem. And men, 36 grams of carbohydrate. That's how much nine teaspoons of sugar is a day. What I would like you to do if you're having trouble accepting what I'm telling you today, Go get some sugar, because if you're having trouble, I guarantee you, you have white sugar in your house. Get a paper plate, get a teaspoon, and put six, depending on whether you're a woman, six or nine teaspoons of sugar on it, and look at it. 
and think to yourself, the scientific community that's actually somewhat on the right side of this says this is acceptable. Plus, eat all the pasta. Pasta is great. Honey Nut Cheerios, eat the shit out of that. Pineapple and heavy syrup a few times a week. Frosted mini wheats go freaking crazy on them. Bread, oh, hell, base your diet on that shit. They're saying it's still okay to have that much sugar. So what do you think the carbohydrate load is on a person following this advice? One of my family members went keto, and she was following her doctor's advice for a healthy diet. And she pretty much was. She was going to a personal trainer, like doing some CrossFit shit, flipping some tires. I mean, working at it, right? Working at it. And decided after seeing the results we got, hey, I'm going to try this keto shit. When she started tracking her carbohydrate intake, she was averaging 300 to 400 carbohydrates a day. Following the advice that would be totally sanctioned by the industry as to how to live healthy. A diet based on grains and cereals, and fruits, and vegetables, most of which are also fruits. Even taking some recipes, because not diabetic, but pre-diabetic, off the ADA website, written by DaVita, who needs you to get dialysis to make any money. Are you starting to see how maybe, maybe the whole system is stacked against you here? Maybe the whole system, and maybe just saying, oh, personal responsibility. When we're talking about a highly addictive substance, and if you understood what the food companies really are, you'd understand that it's literally the best drug makers laboratories in the world. These food companies are chemistry companies. They design food that is the most addictive possible. And they don't say outright, we want to make the food addictive. What they say is, we want to make food that people like so much that they buy more of it. You get to the same place. And you need to understand all these big food companies. We're talking about how big they really are here at the moment. All of them began as scientific, chemistry-driven companies. And they didn't necessarily start with the idea, we will take over the world and make everybody sick. That's just where we ended up. When the food industry that we know started was the late 1800s into the time of about the Great Depression. And these mega brands were built. And there was all these innovations in new methods of canning, flash freezing, and stabilized shelf-ready product. And what they did is they made sure, 100% made sure, that the food could be shipped from, let's say, Chicago to Florida or California or New York to Washington State. And you could eat it, and it wouldn't kill you. Now, you have to understand, and this is why I really recommend watching the series called The Food That Built of America. And yes, you're going to see all the brands that I'm bashing in there and how they were built. But you still you then you begin to understand how was this Frankenstein created? It was a big deal in 1925 that you could go to the store and buy something in a box that sat there for two weeks and it would taste decent and not kill you. So this this chemistry mindset was developed. So, of course, at the beginning, it's easy. You're capturing market share and market share and market share. And you have one big rival and you beat them or you buy them out and you, you, you get going. But eventually you get to a point where, like, this is the way the food industry works. You're no longer the innovator. You're just the big dog among everybody doing it. And now you're competing. And there's maybe 10, 11 companies that have most of the food on the shelves in the grocery stores today. 
So how do you outcompete your competitor? You make your food a little more addictive and a little more profitable. So you go to the government and you say, hey, government, the poor farmers, they need our help. Why don't you put some more subsidies into corn and sugar beets and shit like that? Hey, why don't you give us a subsidy to use the product so there's a guaranteed market for it? Everybody wins. And then you have your lab coat guys go, hey, you know, if we add this one other additive and we test it, two people sit down, they can't tell the difference, but they eat more of this one and they don't know why. You're going to do it. And you end up with a system that's 100% based on the chemical reactions with human beings when they consume food. And at the same time, you're buying and peddling influence in the scientific journals, the medical journals, et cetera. And you're buying influence in the education system, K through university, up to doctoral. And then you're going to say, well, what about personal responsibility? Isn't the person who follows the recommendations of the dietitians this doctor referenced and all these scientific studies and this stupid food pyramid thing that is, and I quote one more time, it is the most comprehensive and science-based nutrient profiling system to date. Isn't that person taking personal responsibility? They might be wrong, but have they not said, hey, I'm going to listen to my experts? So how much can you actually assign personal responsibility to them? And I want you to look at it this way to really understand it, because you'll say, well, yeah, well, if they follow those recommendations, they wouldn't be fat because they would also be restricting their caloric intake and taking hand sized portions of this and that. Okay, bullshit, because what you're telling me is. If the medical community came out and made a really great case that using a little heroin every morning and a little cocaine every afternoon and just smoking one crack rock on Wednesdays was good for you, and we ended up with a nation of addicts, oh, wait, we did that shit, it's called opioids, right? That it would be personal responsibility that the person who trusted the industries that are supposed to be the experts, the government the media and the industry, all three together, who started using a drug because they were told it was good for them and they became addicted. It's their failure as an individual because they became addicted. It's their fault, not yours, for telling them to use the drug. Do you see how stupid that would sound? Refined sugar in combination with fat especially shelf-stable seed oils, is one of the most addictive substances you can give a human being the end. And you're recommending it, so you are killing people if you're recommending it. If you are a doctor and you recommend Cheerios for parents to give to their babies, you are harming the health of a child from the day that they're freaking able to eat solid food. That's what you're doing. When you say, well, I don't have time to talk to you, patient. Here's a bill for 200 bucks. Go get a dietitian. And you haven't vetted that dietitian to know that they're giving good advice. You are harming the health of your patient. You are violating your oath. And the people in government that allow this, the regulatory capture that goes on, the funded studies, the companies that sell out influence, you guys are plum murderers. You're scum. I'll at least give the doctor they're kind of trapped in the system. But right now, if you want to study that says a thing, there's an entity you can go to. And as long as you have the money, you can order results published in a scientific journal. It'll take a little bit of time, but the process itself is about as easy as ordering a product on Amazon. And if you're the sugar industry, if you're the, the drug cartels or the, or the pharmaceutical companies, if you're big food, 
big sugar, if you're big media, if you're any of these entities, if you're big ag, you got all the money you need to buy this shit. And I guarantee you, if you have billions of dollars and you're willing to cut a check for a few million dollars, you could probably get a study done that would say something like children who eat candy weigh less than children who don't. Does that sound Is anybody out there want to call bullshit on that? That I could get a, a, a published medical journal story written like it, like JAMA or something like that, that would give credence to the idea that children who eat candy weigh less than children who don't. Does anybody think I'm bullshitting? <laughs> Do you think I just pulled that out of my ass? How, how long have you been listening if you don't know that I just gave you a loaded ass question? Here's some claims made by sugar funded studies and you can verify them all to be true for yourself. I have a link in the show notes you can check out. One, Coke spent $130 million for a study saying exercise is more important than diet. This is a lie. It's a lie people want to believe. You can't outrun a bad diet. A person who works out every day and drinks Coca-Cola and eats the kind of diet that we're talking about here today, will be in physical worse shape than a person that gets, you know, just walks every day and eats a proper human diet. Period. It's a lie. That's why they had to spend $130 million to get that study published. Grape juice, this is another thing that was done by Big Sugar. They bought a study, paid, bought and paid for a study that said grape juice is good for your brain. Good for your brain. Remember the number that I gave you that's atrocious in of itself? Men should not consume more than 36 grams of carbohydrate a day. Women shouldn't even get close to that, right? Yeah. You know how many carbohydrates are in one cup of grape juice? 36 grams of sugar in one cup of grape juice. They bought that study. But Jack, Jack, you said you promised that you were going to show us a study that said that children who eat candy weigh less than children who don't. The American Confectionators Association, the candy industry, bought and paid for a study that was published in a prestigious medical journal that said that children who eat candy weigh less than children who don't. How they did, I did not dig that one apart. I just verified that it exists. I don't even want to think about the mental gymnastics and the parameter preset of bias that was necessary to get there. So there you go. You can outrun a bad diet. That's what Coke says, 130 million bucks. Bought it like buying a package on Amazon. American Confectionators Association. Children who eat candy are less fat than children who don't eat candy. I, I, I can't even imagine where you get to that one. And grape juice is good for your brain, even though many doctors who are honest doctors are now starting to call Alzheimer's type 3 diabetes. And there's been incredible research done that shows that using like MCT oil and stuff gives people with the beginning of Alzheimer's, better cognitive function. Maybe if we like ate a proper human diet, we'd have less of that overall. I'm not saying it's the only cause. Doctors are the ones calling it type 3 diabetes, not me. My jury's out on that one yet, but I, I've definitely looked at really interesting scientific research where a doctor will show a CAT scan of the brain and they'll feed a patient with Alzheimer's food and you see like this dead spot in the brain and then they feed them MCT oil which is one of the good 
fats that come from plants, primarily coconut oil, and that areas of the brain that have been not lighting up light up. That doesn't prove anything, but it's damn sure worth additional research on, and I'm going to be doing more on it. And it's just the bigger thing, though, is you have to understand this is the pattern. This is the pattern. It's the pattern, and the pattern is set. This is the way you get things done in America. And this is why I say the media wants you sick, dying, and compliant. The government wants you sick, dying, and compliant. The banking system wants you sick, dying, and compliant. And the oligarchy and major industry wants you sick, dying, and compliant. Because this is how they make the much money, most money. And whether they sit down and they're all like, ha, 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 excellent, and they do it as a conspiracy, or whether it's the natural result of greed and, and, and just being psychopaths that want more power and more money, that the only way they know how to keep score is how much market share do we have. Regardless of which one it is, that's the net result. That just, If you are in the business of selling drugs, which is what the pharmaceutical industry does, and selling treatments like dialysis and, and you know bypass surgery and gender reassignment, all the other things they make money on, that a society of mentally damaged, sick, slowly dying people is more profitable than a society of highly intelligent and independent thinking people following good dietary recommendations and a reasonable health. You'll make more money that way. You, you, You'll make more money that way. That's that's all there is to it. Uh, Kali Singh says the candy thing is legit because the parents are not cooking the kids meals. And there may I've thought about how you might do that, how you might bias that study. If you if you took parents who rigidly controlled the diet of their children to healthy foods and said you can have candy, you know, twice a week. And they gave them like when I was in kindergarten, my kindergarten teacher and it worked too on us. We were stupid kids, man. If you're good all day. You get a piece of candy at the end of the day. And you know what you got? You know what Smarties are? The little sweet tart things that come in the wrapper? You got one. She'd open the little wrapper and everybody that was good all day and didn't get a mark on the board would get And I would, damn, I'm going to get my piece of candy, right? But that's not going to hurt you. That's not going to hurt you. So I don't know exactly how they did that, but but it's it's something to that effect. You, you bias the study by the, the – and most of these studies, right, they don't go get people. They use empirical data. And when you're using empirical data, with data raking, you can say anything you want. I was the marketer. Tell me who you want the graph to look like that you're going to show the CEO. Without lying, I'll make the graph look like you want it to look. I'll play. I'll, I'll data rake the freaking shit out of that thing. And that's what these empirical studies do. They data rake. Look up data raking if you're not sure what I'm talking about. But the pattern is set. So this is something that's really hard for people to get their head around. People are lured into the belief that we have a lot more choice than we do. Um, this is, this is an article and it's a very interesting infographic. It's about where your food comes from. And this one's pretty famous right here. You walk into a grocery store and these 11 companies make more than 90% of what's on the shelf. PepsiCo, Kellogg's, Mars, General Mills, Mondes, Johnson & Johnson, Kraft Heinz, Nestle, Procter & Gamble, Coca-Cola, and I can't pronounce that, Unileveler, I guess is what it says, something like that. That's... That's where all so you go in that grocery store, big, super giant mega grocery store. And this includes organic brands and stuff like this. So there's just massive control. There's so many people that you go in and you're looking at three items sitting next to the shelf with different brands on them. They're all owned by Nestle or PepsiCo. 
and if you again, if you watch the series, the Food That Built America, you'll start to see how this whole conglomeration came into effect. Next is the media, because I said food and media. Six companies control much of what the U.S. media shows on TV. I tried to disprove this, and so I looked for an article that would explain how there were actually far more uh, media outlets that were putting out content on radio and television, that you, and I, I couldn't find any but one, and I can't remember where the article, I didn't make a link to it, but it, it sent me on a, a direction to verify it, and it was true. Their debunking was simply to add a company, Sinclair Broadcasting. And they said Sinclair Broadcasting isn't in any of these charts because, well, you know, it's not true. Well, if you add Sinclair, you pretty much wrap it up. Sinclair has the most individual local broad state broadcasting stations under their control, both radio, radio and television. So when you turn your radio on AM talk radio, you're probably hearing Sinclair. So what's been done with Sinclair is they've been vilified is they're, they're the outcasts. And I guess that's why they don't get on these charts because even these charts that prove what I'm saying to be true, they're good for branding, right? You want to be one of the top. So they're the right wing, the extreme right wing media company. No, it's just that they control most of the AM radio stations. And let's just be honest. Liberal talk radio is boring. It's terrible. It's awful. No, liberals don't want to listen to it. Do you know what talk radio liberals listen to? Right-wing radio, right? So the media companies are controlled, seven companies. I don't care if it's 10. Control 95% of what people see and hear on radio and television. The pattern is set. When we look at the pharmaceutical companies of the world, the top 10 pharmaceutical companies of the world, I've got them up here right now, control almost the entire market. And all the ones that will be pointed to as being competition all they are is test beds. And as soon as they get something that's worth having, Pfizer, Johnson & Johnson, Novartis, AstraZeneca buys them. And for those that can see the chart, even within the top 10, look at the vast difference in size between, let's say, Pfizer and Merck, let alone Pfizer and Sanofi or Pfizer and AstraZeneca. Right. The top and the bottom have a huge disproportional relationship to each other. And some of these companies they will merge in the coming years. What about agriculture? So I'm talking about the herbicides, the pesticides, the world. Again, it's about eight companies, Cargill, Bayer, which now owns what used to be Monsanto, John Deere, Archer Daniels, Sergenta, DuPont, Nutrin, and BASF control almost the entire agriculture comp, uh, uh, agricultural industry worldwide. Worldwide. It is a handful of companies and every and I encourage you to do your own research. Think of a massive industry. Look at healthcare, And I don't mean the people do the work on you. We've lied to you and called healthcare is health insurance. Look at the insurance market. It's a very tiny group of companies. And the companies that are in that business are in league with the companies that make the drugs. Right. They cover just enough to get you to spend more money so that everybody makes more money because they don't lose money. You don't hear you don't hear about like Concentra going broke, do you? And you never will because it's all a game of freaking incestuous grab ass between all these companies. They all have a way to manipulate the system and they all work very cooperatively with each other. And it all comes back to the banking system because none of these companies are funded out of pocket. All of these companies benefit from what we call the Cantillon effect. The closer you are to the faucet, the more money you can spend that you don't have to pay back or you pay it back so cheap it doesn't matter. 
Then we'll add into it groups like BlackRock, who go to these companies and say, hey, unless you do ESG and further all this shit at the, the macro level, we won't buy your stock and put it to our investment portfolios. And you think that a company would just say, screw you. No, they can't afford it because the whole system is bet, bet, based on basically a casino of gaming that creates an artificial rise to the stock prices of all these companies that are all from a bunch of dum-dums who have accounts and would have you a 401ks, IRAs and shit all over the place, pension funds, etc. And a major player like BlackRock can change the future of a company's stock price forever just by including them in a portfolio. It's all a gimmick. It's all a game. And it all comes back to something they talked about last week when I said billionaires don't cheat on their taxes. You need to understand the mindset of the people you're dealing with. They don't own, they control. Everything these people do, do is not actually owned by them. They own shares in a corporation that owns shares in a corporation that does the thing. And if you go after them, they have wall upon wall upon wall protecting them legally from the things that these entities do. And they have two entities doing the same thing two different ways. So if you actually eventually get regulatory control over one entity, the other entity is still off doing whatever it wants. And once you put regulation in place, all they do is they completely agree with you. You're right. If we're going to be regulated, we should fund our own existence. And they say, we'll willingly pay these government entities like NIH fees every year to regulate us. And we'll willingly, when they find us doing something wrong, pay them fines. That goes on for, say, a decade. And then the entity that was relatively small doing decent oversight in the beginning becomes a huge bureaucratic behemoth. They get almost no money from direct tax dollars. They're almost completely funded by the people that they're regulating. That is what regulatory capture is. And what do you think happens now? If I'm the one paying your bills, who's in control of our relationship? Can you afford to kill me off? Can you afford to really hurt me? You can give me a fine for a quarter of a point of what I make a year. But you can't actually injure me because then you'll hurt yourself. Where will your future funding come from? And when I say I want you guys to do a study on this thing and fund it with the money that you actually did take from the taxpayers, guess what? You're going to do it. And when I say, look, if you'll fund this study at 50 percent, we'll grab ass funded on the other side. You're going to do it. And it's going to say whatever the hell I want it to say. And if it actually comes out. To even when it's done with the bias that the study doesn't say what I want it to say, what happens then? They don't report the, the study. They don't report the data. They don't publish it. Research this if you think I'm lying to you. Many studies every year that come up with results that the person or entity or group of people funding the study wanted and they don't match. They simply say, oh, yeah, do another study, something else. And it doesn't get published and it gets buried. And who would go find it? People don't look at the studies that get published that are contrary, let alone the, the, the studies that. And then what they'll say is it's discredited. Their own study that they funded is discredited because they didn't publish it because they didn't like the. This is the world you live in. And it's because the wealthy practice that pattern. Don't own anything. Control everything. And the number one the thing that they want to control is you. They want to control you. Think about it like a farmer with a herd of cattle. We say the farmer owns his cattle. Does he really? Can you really own a cow that goes out on the range or whatever? 
you know, like on BLM land or something like that. Do you do you think that you really own that cow or do you control that cow? Your livestock that you have, how many of you people have livestock that if it really wanted to get off your property, even though you contain it, it could. I'm sitting here looking at three jerk chickens right now sitting on my outdoor bar, on my concrete bar in my kitchen, looking at me through my window right now. They can get up on that bar. That bar is about three foot high. The fencing around my property is four foot high. Do you think those birds can't get off my property? But what did I do? I hashed them from an egg. I took good care of them. I fed them. I gave them a warm place to live. They give me eggs and I don't kill them as long as they're giving me eggs. Do I own them or do I control them? It's a very uncomfortable thing to analyze yourself in your life and your profession and your how you earn your money, how you pay your taxes, where you live, who you listen to, who you obey, what you comply with, what you don't in that mindset. If our doctor friend who was so upset with me last week tuned in today, and if you're still listening, I'd ask you, is it just possible that you're saying, I don't have time to talk about nutrition with my patients, and I tell them if they do ask to go see a dietitian, and I follow the rules, is it possible that you're doing what you're told because of the consequences of not doing what you're told? Is it just possible that even though you know it's wrong, you do it anyway? And you figure out a way to justify it with mental gymnastics because that's how you were conditioned. Is it just possible that a lot of that really excellent medical training you got came with an awful lot of training and programming, not just teaching? Is it actually possible that there are medical treatments that you know might work for a thing that you dare not prescribe because you'll get in trouble if you do so? Is it not possible that you are just as manipulated and controlled as a highly paid professional is a poor person living on top ramen and, and stovetop stuffing, maybe in some ways more because you have more to lose. Is it just not possible? This is what they do. This is what they do. This is what psychopaths and sociopaths that have set up these systems of society have done throughout history. Even in a slave driven society, there were higher ranking slaves that helped to control the slaves because you can't spend all your time controlling your slaves. And that higher ranking slave, man, do you think he wanted to be cast back down with the lower class of slave? No. Oh, God, no, that would suck. And what happens in time is they literally the slave that was in that mid tier, that upper class slave literally convinces themselves that they are worthy of this higher position. There was an interesting experiment done. I, I, I hadn't looked this up. I just thought of it now. I'll try to find it if I remember. I'm very busy this week trying to get out of here. But there was a, a, a study done where more of an experiment, not a study. They took people and they had them play the game of Monopoly. And they disadvantaged some of the players by having them start with less money. And they advantaged some of the players by having them start with more money. And, of course, the people that started with more money, because when you play Monopoly, everybody starts out with the same amount of money. Whoever plays the game better, a little bit of luck with the roll of dice and where you land and your understanding of the game is going to kind of make it a skills-based game mostly. But if all the players start with $100 and you give two of the players in a game of six people $2,000 to start out with, they're going to be able to buy everything they land on without a thought of it. And if they also understand, hey, go ahead and mortgage you because you never pay a mortgage back in this game. They're really going to kill everybody hardcore. 
Well, when they did this, this was the interesting thing. The people that did well in the game, by the time the games were played a couple times, convinced themselves, yeah, I had a little bit of an advantage. But the reality is I played the game better. They convinced themselves that their skill was what set them apart, not the advantage that they were handed. It's interesting. It's a psychological state people can be placed into it. It can be leveraged into things like having higher classes of slaves. But what the oligarchy figured out over time was slaves are a pain in the ass. Slaves are way more expensive, especially when we figured out how to enslave fossil fuels instead of people. Like when we didn't need 800 people to pick beans on a farm anymore, we only needed five to run combines, right, to, to harvest wheat. Well, shit, these slaves are kind of a pain in the ass. But what we, we, we can't really give up our real slaves because we want to control society. We need slavery to control. So what if we could get our slaves to pay for themselves, to house themselves, to be responsible for themselves. And when they got sick, instead of a burden, we made money off them. What if all their problems gave us more power because we would say that we could fix their problems and we would have them so mentally fucked up that even though we have a multi-hundred-year track record of saying we're going to fix a problem and only making it worse, they would still believe that one day, if they elected the right master, that we would actually be able to fix their problem. And what if we could divide them in half, roughly, so that each had a group of masters that they served? And what if we were actually behind all the masters? We'll call them Democrats and Republicans. And then they could fight forever, and every time a problem doesn't get fixed, instead of blaming us, they would blame each other. Call each other names like Libtard and Republitard or whatever. It will be great. That's what they did. And they've taken over every major industry of human need and want in the world. And it sounds very dark, and it is, but it also sounds like, well, is there anything we can do about it? Yes. This is what you do about it. Number one, personal responsibility doesn't go away. That doctor was not wrong about everything he said, even though I picked on him. Personal responsibility does not go away. In the end, no matter how you became a heroin addict, it is up to you to get to a point where you look at your life and go, my life is not good this way, and decide you want to change it. Decide you want to change it. So we have to do that, and that means we have to start thinking before we act in all things. You can't read a thing that says what you wanted to say and then go do the thing without thinking about it. So that's step one. Think before you act in all things in your life. Two, grow and locally source food where and as you can. The way you get outside of the conglomerate, the 11 companies that control the whole grocery store, is only buy what you need to buy from the grocery store and then buy the things that make sense. I would rather you eat grass-fed beef from somebody that lives on your street than my own sponsor, ButcherBox. I would. But I'd rather you eat grass-fed beef from ButcherBox than meat that was grown in a CAFO. Yeah? I would rather you eat beef that spent time in a CAFO then eat seed oils and wheat and soy. Okay? It's, it's that order. So we are not going to completely sever the cord from the grocery stores. Not anytime soon. We are in a system where we have to make some choices within it. But we need to make 
intelligent and elegantly designed decisions for ourselves. So we can start by there's a lot of stuff you can grow for yourself no matter where you live. And there's a there's tons of people getting into ranching. We always say farmers when we talk and we talk about people that are raising sheep or, or cattle or chickens or whatever. I, I personally consider a person who's raising animals rancher and a person that's growing things farmer. Right. And there's a lot of people that are farmers and ranchers together. That's even better. But there's a lot. I mean, we can get so much of our meat, at least grass fed, pasture raised, that type of thing. Yeah. And then most of the other things that really belong in our diet are not hard to grow. These would be, you know, moderated carbohydrate crops for those that eat those like potato and sweet potato and winter squash. And I really suggest you moderate that stuff. But I'm even going to include that in my talk down in Austin because some people don't believe it. You could still eat a hell of a lot healthier in that world, even if you don't come over to the side of the fence that we're on with keto carnivore. It's okay. But like your vegetables that make sense, lettuce, easy to grow, arugula, easy to grow, peppers and tomatoes, easy to grow. So you can grow so much of like the flavor herbs and the flavor enhancing things and, and the nutrient dense vegetation that makes a complete meal out of just a piece of meat. Do it yourself. That's one thing you can do. Next, sea sugar is poison. If, if I can only convince you of one thing today that you don't believe, if you don't believe that refined sugar is poison, I want you to accept that today. And I'll even give you the out that if you are eating complex carbohydrates, it's less bad. Because in some ways it is. It is less of an insulin spike. There's bad and less bad and good. It ain't good, but it's less bad. But refined cane sugar, refined beetroot sugar, etc., it is a toxin. And the, the king toxin of sugars is, is fructose, high fructose corn syrup, and just fructose, period. If, if you doubt me, you can look up the digestive process for fructose. It is almost identical to the digestive process for ethyl alcohol. It puts the same type of load on your liver that ethyl alcohol does. We have an epidemic of non-alcoholic fatty liver disorder in the United States. This is an old man's disease, and we have people that are 25 years old with it. I've heard doctors tell patients who are in their 50s that have fatty liver disease, don't worry, most people in their 50s have fatty liver disease. What? And you doctors wonder why I'm hard on you? What? That's actual things that I more than once I know that a doctor has told a patient that. Well, you're not an alcoholic. Yeah, you know, like moderate a little bit, but don't worry, it's common. It's common for you to be killing your liver. You really got to see sugar for what is is a poison. And those of you that still drink, and I do, and I probably should drink less than I do, and I drink less than I ever have in my life right now. If you put sugar and alcohol together, you are punching yourself in the liver with a sledgehammer. Because there's an order that your body will do that. And since the alcohol, the ethyl alcohol is slightly less, it will have to process all the alcohol out of your bloodstream while that sugar spikes your blood sugar and waits in line to go next. And the way your body handles sugar and alcohol, alcohol first, fructose second, glucose third. So if you're diabetic and you're drinking, you're really killing yourself. If you're drinking and following the advice of the ADA and making diabetic cookies with dried cranberries and raisins and sugar in them, you're really killing yourself. You don't like the truth. I'm sorry, but I'm not sorry. I won't apologize for the truth. And I defy anybody to prove conclusively wrong any claims that I've made today. Go ahead and do it because it'll be interesting. And if you can, I want to know so I can be tighter and better with my messaging. 
I won't get mad at you if you're right. If you just tell me I'm an idiot and I don't know what I'm talking about and I don't have a degree, I'll tell you to go screw yourself. Uh, next, and I mean this, zero trust to government, to industry, finance community, media. Zero trust. None. And remember what I say about trust versus belief. If I tell you that most of the time, if it's a cloud-free day and you look at the sky, it's blue, you'll believe me. You don't trust me. You believe me. If I told you that the first recorded evidence of humankind is 1.25 million years ago, and that's way further back than even the most at-the-edge claims of science today. If you believe me, you trust me. Yeah? You shouldn't believe me if I tell you that, though, because if I could if I could point to that and show it, I would do so. I would, And modern humans, homo sapiens. Because I know there's some, you know, other hominoids that we actually do go back that far with. And if you just believe me with the second part, it's the truth. But if you believe me without checking, you trust me as a trusted source. If you have to check, then you don't trust me that much anyway. And if you think it's probably true, but you want to verify anyway, you don't fully trust me, right? And maybe you shouldn't. But... When you know a thing you don't have to trust, it's very important when I say zero trust, you get what I'm saying. Never, ever take anything they say as fact without verifying. Verify, don't trust, like we say in the Bitcoin community. Get out of the cities. I know I keep saying that, but it is the cities. They're going to be completely overrun in the next 10 years with smart technology, AI, and human-on-human enforcers. All this social credit score shit, all of it is coming to a city near you soon. And you can even live where you can get to the city and you can use the city when you want to. We can totally build our parallel economies, do everything we can within there, and take from theirs whatever we want as we want by choice. But if you live within their jail, you will be a prisoner. A willing prisoner that willingly straps on your ankle bracelet because all that does is track your movements. Right? Why do you think they're going to war with gas stoves right now? If I have a gas stove, especially with a thousand gallon propane pig, big old propane pig locks right behind that wall behind me back there. And they say, Jack, you're a bad boy. We're going to turn your stove off. Guess what happens? Nothing. But if I have an electric stove and I'm using too much electricity this week and the polar bears are crying over it, they can just dial back my electricity. I have to say, you know what? I can't use a stove. Because maybe they don't even shut my stove off. Maybe they just dial back my electrical allowance a little bit. You don't think that shit can happen? If you don't think that can happen, you have not paid attention for the last three years at all if you don't think that can happen. Well, I will willingly decide. I only get to cook on my electric range twice a week. Gee, guess what I'm not eating now? Meat. And some of you are like, I'll use wood. I'll use a gas. Good, you're thinking. But all of those things are under attack inside the cities. The barbecue places are not allowed to even smoke meat in parts of, of freaking Austin, Texas anymore. I'm not I'm not sure about that one. I know they went after him. I don't know if it got through. I don't know if it got kicked back. But they were trying to shut down the ability to smoke barbecue in Austin, Texas. I guarantee you the hill country just to the west and the east don't give a shit. Get out, get out, get out. The, the door of opportunity on this is closing, and it continues to close. And I've been saying it for years. And tell me if you've been around a while. 
and you've heard me making this claim, whether you got out or not, when you look at the door metaphorically, that is the ability to exit the cities, has the door not been slowly closing? And ironically, didn't it open back up just a little bit when the COVID hit remote work? But isn't it beginning to just come back and close a little bit more again? Get out, get out, get out. Denise Bilby says Cali's not a democracy, right? California's not a democracy. Yeah, the United States is not a democracy. And I'm not going, it's a republic. Republics are not magic. The vast majority of countries in the world are republics. We are an oligarchy. The whole country is an oligarchy because we're a republic. Within our oligarchy, we have zones of greater and lesser freedoms. And California goes high on the list as lesser freedom. But even within a state that people think of being very free, like Texas, there's a vast difference between living in Dallas and Fort Worth, even though they're both cities. And there's a vast difference between living in Fort Worth and living in a little city of Lakeside down the road from me. And there's a vast difference between living where I live in unincorporated Tarrant County and that little town of Lakeside that's just a few miles away. It's vastly different, the level of freedom that you have. It's not about a democracy. It's about systems of control. And I would submit to you that think, that think anarchy can't work in a way. In some levels, the government of the United States has characteristics that are similar to an anarchy and that there's a lot of opportunity to choose your jurisdiction. There's just an overriding federal and state and county level of control that screw it up. But if you go back to the United States prior to the Civil War specifically, it was actually really close to the concept of an not as an anarchy, but the concept of an anarchy. And you could point out a lot of bad shit. But you can also point out a lot of good things, too. But it was a federal government that inevitably would become what it did that prevented it from ever evolving in an intelligent way and instead evolving into a system of full control. Going beyond what I had to say today. And I would say no matter what you eat, Avoid refined and highly processed things and cook your own meals to a high degree. Learn to cook. Cook your own food from whole foods that you can look at and you know what they are. Don't use boxes and packets and stuff like that. Like, I cooked for myself today. And what you mean is you dumped a packet of seasoning into some noodles. That's not cooking for yourself. You should use raw materials to cook your food. And even if you eat their shit, you'll be better off. Do it. Thousand times better off than eating the things that come in boxes, boxes and prepackaged. And be careful of the word processed. Processed pretty means that the food had anything done to it at all. Is sausage processed? I'm talking like the most natural sausage you can make. Well, sure. I took the meat, I ground it, I mixed it with seasoning, salt, pepper, herbs, maybe jalapenos, and I stuffed it into a tube. It's processed. If I took steak or pork, chopped it up, threw it in a pan with the same ingredients, you wouldn't say, oh, that's not processed. Okay, so we're playing games here. Highly processed. When we take a thing that would not be shelf-stable and use chemical engineering to make it shelf-stable, when you hear people talk about process, that's the kind of shit that they're talking about. We take meat, we throw salt on it, we dry it out. That's processed. It's not it's not processed in the way that I'm talking about. Can you look at the ingredients, read them all, and understand them all without a dictionary? Is there less than five ingredients in the thing? Are they all ingredients that you would happily cook with? That's okay. 
Because people say, well, bacon's processed. Whatever. You put nitride on it. Yeah, that's great. I'm not going to get into why, but there's there's processed. See, and, and Green Country is saying pro, price. I, I think he meant processed. Processed versus prepared. I, again, I think it has more to do with what's actually in it and what was actually done to it. Like if you look at seed oils, the, the important thing to understand is when they make something like canola oil, they don't go harvest a great, big, beautiful golden field of canola seed and take a machine and simply press the seed and the oil comes out and they ship it to you. The industrial process necessary to make that oil usable is insane. Go look it up if you doubt me. That is processed, which is where, you know, there are some purists in the whole fat and oils like plant fats are just bad. How do you get olive oil? Well, you do what I just said. You gently press the olives and the oil comes out. That's not, to me, that's not processed. That's extracted. They didn't have to do anything with the olive oil. That's why we have to take care of olive oil. We can't just like leave it out on the shelf and willy nilly, you know, once it's opened and not worry about it, we'll start to go rancid because it's not been processed to prevent that. Go, go read the ingredients of a basic everyday, you know, mayors or wonder or whatever white bread. Read those ingredients. You'll see what I mean by processed. But don't don't fall into the trap that anything anybody touched in any way. Don't think if I ground meat up and stuff it in a tube, it becomes highly processed. Read the ingredients that are in there. If it's like in and most of the sausages that you buy in a store, it is highly processed. It says high fructose corn syrup on it. Go see how much processing it takes to make that shit, and you'll see what I mean. Um, ending here. They lie. Constantly and always. They lie constantly and always and consistently. But in the end, our doctor friend that I started with the beginning of this about is right. We choose to believe it. I will defend the average idiot who is still living completely inside the system that trusts the system that's benefited from the system. I will give them some forgiveness in this. But if you listen to me. You are not that person. You choose if you eat a Frito today. You choose if you eat a Lay's potato chip today or a bag thereof. You choose to let yourself believe that chocolate-covered almonds are really okay. Put a little candy coating on the outside. makes it a little bit worse, but not so much. You choose to feed your child a Honey Nut Cheerio when they start taking solid food because it's easy, it's convenient, and it's cheap. You choose this. Well, what do I give my kid? Do you know what Ken Berry gives his, 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 his baby when they start eating whole foods? A soft, long-cooked, slow-cooked beef rib. And the kid sucks it off the bone, man. I know it sounds crazy, but if we don't feed this shit to our children, if they never have it, then they're not picky at, at all about eating. They'll eat the stuff that you should be eating. But we choose to eat the bad food. We choose to say, oh, sugar's okay in moderation, and there is no such thing once you start consuming refined sugars. We choose. We choose to believe. We choose to pay attention to their shit. We choose to live in the cities. We choose it all for ourselves. And it's going to take a willing, determined choice to stop trusting and to stop believing them. And you can only blame the abuser so long, right? You got an abusive relationship, guy beating a woman. I'll, I'll break his neck if I see it happening. 
that's my that's my gut. That's my instinct. There's twice that I saw a guy put a hands on a woman, and I stepped in, and the woman attacked me. I'm kind of done with that now, right? I really am. I had one try to take my freaking, and I only got one good eye. Try to take my eye out. Guy was slapping the shit out of her, and I stepped in between it. She grabbed me from behind, tried to claw my eyes out. Okay, you know, there is a point where you have to do something for yourself. The drug dealer has to check in the rehab and stay there and do the work. The alcoholic has to work the steps, whatever it is. You know, it's your choice. The real conspiracy, though, because when you talk like this, I know I'm going to get it in the comments on YouTube, especially because people will find it. There's a conspiracy theorist. There's a conspiracy theorist. The real conspiracy is just people that have this much wealth and power are worthy of any trust. The real conspiracy is a company that will make more money by paying for a study that says what they wanted to say wouldn't do it. That's the real conspiracy theory. That's the real conspiracy theory. The real conspiracy theory is a drug company wouldn't bias the trial so that they could get a drug pack that's going to make them hundreds of billions of dollars. That's a real conspiracy theory. The real conspiracy theory is, a, is, is, is groups of companies can make all their money on sugar, wouldn't use some of the money to, to, to create creative marketing that says sugar's okay. That's the real conspiracy theory. The real conspiracy theory is if you create a system that causes doctors to spend less than 15 minutes on average with their patients and prescribe more medication and stay out of the world nutritional advice, that they won't do it. That's the conspiracy theory. The real conspiracy theory is if you completely populate the desks of news agencies exclusively with liberals, it won't be liberally biased, right? And the same companies own the supposed right-wing media. The real conspiracy theory is they're not telling you you want to hear, but still overridingly giving you the same message. That's a real conspiracy theory. The real conspiracy theory is the, is the nation's government that has bombed and, and killed more people than anybody else in the last 70 years. No other nation has invaded as many countries, bombed as many countries, or killed as many people in other countries as the United States government is benevolent and cares about freedom and liberty in the world. That's the real conspiracy theory. The real conspiracy theory is it really makes sense to give Ukraine $100 billion while people in the United States are hungry. The real conspiracy theory is to, to think that People that say they care about borders in another country actually care about yours. The real conspiracy theory is when they have the border wide, border wide open on a southern border and they say, we need to invest more in high tech things like drones and surveillance and, and cameras. Why? You're letting everybody in anyway. What would it do? Oh, the real conspiracy theory is believing the people that sell that shit haven't paid for them to say that shit so they can get money. That's the real conspiracy theory. The real conspiracy theory is believing anything these assholes say. If you do, you have some portion of your mind still existing underneath what we call Stockholm Syndrome. Your captors, your owners, your controllers, the people who have domesticated you, still have control over you. If you trust anything, even when they're telling you the truth. When the media tells you something you absolutely know is truth, you know it's true. You don't think it's true. You know it's true, if, especially if they all say it at the same time and they're all repeating it and it's the truth. That's the exception. It's not normalized behavior. Fox News, CNN telling you the same thing and they're not lying. 
that should actually make your hackles go up. It should make you ask a question. Why? Why are these people who are traditionally in opposition to each other and generally both sides are lying now in sync speaking the truth? The average person goes, well, because it's so true, they have to say it. They don't have to say anything. They could talk. They could just not talk about it. When you have supposed enemies speaking the truth to the people they control and lead at the same time, there's an agenda on the move. The real conspiracy is believing that there isn't. That's all I got for you guys today. I hope you guys enjoyed it. I really do. I didn't really spend that much time paying attention to the chat today. I wanted to stay on point on message for you today. This is a deep and complex topic. I will be gone for the rest of the week, but I have those four amazing rewinds coming. Please check those out. Please remember, you can always support this show, one, by becoming a member of my member support brigade. You'll get discounts on things that will pay for your membership and let you support me. It's win, win, win. I win because I get to do what I love doing. You win because you get to support the show you love and you get your money back. And the vendors that provide the discounts win because they get incremental revenue. And I deal almost exclusively there with small independent businesses. I also do understand that we need things from the system. And so I want you to get the best, most high value things you can. That's why I started a part of my website called tspaz.com, T-S-P-A-Z, tspaz.com. And I recommend items there that you can, if it's food, it's healthy, right? If it's a tool, it's an investment. And it's something I've bought and I would buy again or I don't recommend it. Today, uh, DeWalt 5-amp-hour batteries. This is a 6-amp-hour battery back here, right? This is I really do use the stuff I talk about. These are just one amp hour larger. But the five amp hour version of these batteries are on sale today for like, I think it's 62% off on Amazon, a pack of two of them. It is always a good day. If you're a DeWalt person, it's always a good day to buy batteries when the batteries are on a big markdown because it's the most expensive part of these platforms. So do consider picking these up if you're a DeWalt person. If you're not, Hey, I don't know. Check some other stuff. Maybe there's something else. But no matter what you buy, if you start your shopping on tspaz.com, tspaz.com, you will help us out no matter what it is. And I don't you can just Google it or search adapter on my site. If you still have some of these, this is an old uh, 20 volt DeWalt. This adapter lets you use the new style batteries. And two of these are like 15 bucks. So a little bonus recommendation for you guys today. I hope you all have a great week. I hope you do tune in for the rewinds. We are going to go in some deep permaculture topics. If you can get to the Greater Reset in Bastrop, Texas, come on down. If you're coming, email me, TSPC Bastrop in the subject line, Jack of the Survival Podcast.com. Uh I'm not sure how I'll do this. Maybe I'll just like kind of stand up there when I talk and say, hey, if you're if you're a TSP person, come come see me. We'll try to set something up. There's a lot of cool places there. We'll go have a drink or something together because I'm I want to make sure I talk to all of you guys, but I want to make sure you talk to each other. Community is the only thing that's really going to get us through the shit that's coming with that, guys. I will catch you guys next week on Monday if I don't see you there. Anarchy, thank you for the super chat. K-Bonk, thank you for the super chat. Both of you guys do that all the time. I really appreciate it. Last thing, this show's good. It sounds even better on Fountain.fm. They keep bringing you down. Are they going to bail you out or just run you around? They said you should have a house the American way. 
dollar down, a dollar a month, and you never have to pay. There's a better way to do this. Let me show you a better way. Yeah.